And so this morning, we're going to turn and have a look at the Great Commission. We're going to take a little break away from Colossians for this Sunday. We'll be returning next Sunday. But we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 28, looking at the Great Commission. Now, if you were with us before Christmas as a core group, we were going through a series called uh, True Christ Follower, the 5G Life, what it looks like to be a true disciple of Christ. And, uh, and as you can see, we went through all the Gs except for the last one because Christmas came and then we were launching. We never did finish that series. But I'll just uh, refer to the screen to remind you of where we were. Okay, we started with three sermons on, uh, on what it means to have a relationship with. The true disciple has three relationships in his life. The first one, he has this abiding relationship, abiding in the vine with Jesus Christ. So we started with the theology that we are to abide in him as he abides in us. We then move to this, a connect theology, what it means to connect with each other as the church. And then we move to this idea of sharing, how we relate to the world and how we share the good news with those around us. And then we broke that down into five different G's of how you live your life, how you spend your time as a true disciple. So the first was God time. We had two sermons on, on the word and prayer. And uh, we determined that in a a, a, true, a a true Christ follower intentionally pursues God daily through his word and through prayer. We then move to gather time. That's what we're doing here this morning, uh, that we are to have a love for God's family in gathered worship weekly. And plus, we also believe in group time, a smaller gathering of God's people during the week and having a commitment to consistent growth and accountability with the community of believers. And then we move to give time. What we do with the resources that God has given us. He's given us lives. He's given us our finances and our time. How we spend our time serving him and giving back to him. And then we have go time, which today is going to be an intentional time spent spreading the gospel locally and globally. And so all of that is on our website. If you go to our website, there's a 5G Life tab. You can go back and, and listen to any of those sermons and look at all the slides. We'll even post all this so you have that so you don't need to take pictures and and try to write that down. We'll get that to you on our website. That'll be coming this week. And so we had this series called The 5G Life. This was developed uh, by Harvest Oakville and a few other churches in an effort to bring clarity and definition for what it means to be a Christian. You know, we often go around calling ourselves Christians, and, and sometimes our lives don't really match up with what we profess, right? And so through careful exposition of God's Word, Harvest developed a defining outline of these three relationships divided into five different ways that you spend your time. And so today we're going to dial into that go time, what it means to be a going church. And our mission today is looking at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where we're going to lay out our foundation for how we engage the world with the mission of Christ, both here in Calgary and around the world. And our, our statement today of, of what we're trying to get to is this. A Christ-following church intentionally and urgently spends time spreading the gospel both locally and globally. A Christ-following church intentionally and urgently spends its time spreading the gospel locally and globally. That is our mission. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, we'll be starting in, in verse 16 for a little context. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we seek your help this morning. We need the help of your Spirit. We need the help of the helper that you have sent us. Illuminate your word to our hearts. Help us to understand. Help us to rightly divide what you have before us. 
and help us to apply it deeply to our hearts and that you would produce worship and action through what you have ordained. Lord, we thank you for your word that is before us. We thank you that every week we can open it. Every day we can open it and we can hear directly from you. We can hear from the God of the universe. And you wrote to us. And you wrote to us this book. This book full of love and grace and mercy. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for it. Pray that you would speak to your people this morning, that you would speak to me, and that you would do your work, the work that only you can do. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So let me start by asking you this morning, how are you doing on the mission of Christ? How is that mission being played out in your life? Do you know what the mission is? Are you seeing fruit from the mission of Christ in your life? And how are we together as a church doing this mission together? How are we doing at it right now? Do we have all these things figured out? Do we have the mission figured out? Do we have have lots to learn? We do. We have lots to learn, and we have lots to do. Now, I want to ask a brave individual here this morning, without looking... Oh, we don't even have that banner up this morning, so this is a really good test. What is the mission statement of our church? So core group people, this is question number one that we've been driving all year. What is the mission statement of our church? So who would be brave enough to share that with us this morning? Not to the effective, you got it right on. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's what we're here for. And we're here to bring glory to God through that commission. Now, here's another question. We have that mission statement. How about our vision statement that lines up with that? We had another one that attaches to that as well. How are we to live out this Great Commission as a church? It starts with lost. Not Josh this time, though. Somebody else. Right. Lost people saved. Saved people matured. Mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. Now, these are just man-written statements, all derived from Scripture, but this is our vision as a church. We're all about the mission, but this is how we're going to do it. It's making disciples, and we're going to see that in our Scripture today. And these statements are created to keep reminding us of what we have learned in Scripture regarding the Great Commission. And as we turn to these final words of Christ while he was on earth, we're going to look at three foundational factors as we seek to define and motivate ourselves towards the mission of Christ. And the first one starts in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, the them is his disciples, the 11 who were left. Remember, Judas was no longer with them. He says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. He says, go. All authority has been given to me. Go. And so our first point is this. We go under God's authority. We go under God's authority. Like I said, our scripture here takes place right before Jesus ascended to heaven. Remember, he miraculously rose from the grave after being crucified and dying. Remember, the disciples would have seen his dead, his dead body taken to the tomb. They would have seen the, the rock rolled in front of his grave. And then he rose from the grave. And then he appeared to his disciples. He actually appeared to very many people. And he spent time instructing his disciples about the scriptures and all that they revealed about him. And then on his final minutes in this earth, before he was taken up to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. That's a big word there for us. Go. Go, therefore. Friends, you and I go. We go as the church under Christ's authority. 
So let me ask you this. What does Jesus mean that all authority has been given to him, and why does that matter? What does that matter to us today? Do you think this is an important detail to pay attention to? Do you think this applies to our mission here at Harvest? And more importantly, does Christ's authority and command leave us any kind of wiggle room when it comes to responding to his mission? Does it leave us any kind of room? And so how are you doing with that call? Are you responding to this mission call on your life? The fact that you're here reveals that you are a part of that call and that you've responded to that call. The fact that you'd be a part of a church plant is a good indicator that you're a part of that call, but we can grow in faithfulness of that call. So when Christ, who has all authority, commands you to go and be on mission for him, how should you respond? How should you respond? Friends, the truth is that our our culture of, of going on mission with our lives for Christ today is often left to those who we would call professionals, pastors, missionaries, those who have gone to Bible school, those who have, who have gone to seminary, those who are brave, those who are trained missionaries, uh, those who are apologists, or even those brave souls that go and stand on the street corner and preach the Word of God. We often think that that the mission is for those who are super spiritual, right? Those who are the super Christians. Those who are supernaturally brave to do this work. Why do we do this? Why do we elevate the mission to those when the mission is for all of us? What are we seeing in Scripture? What do we see in Scripture regarding the call? Why are we slow to submit to this collective calling? Why are we slow to forsake our lives, to give ourselves away for the gospel? Why do we have such a hard time just walking across the street and sharing the good news with your neighbor, let alone going to the edges of the earth to the lost people groups? Let me just share that that I also feel this too. In my life, as I go out through my day, I'm feeling this tension, right? Right? I feel these same things. It's not easy. It's not, it's not this natural thing I just want to do all the time. But it is our calling. And I pray that our hearts would grow in devotion to this, that we would be people that just spill over with the joy and the beauty of Jesus Christ in this world. But we often don't go. And why don't we go? I'm going to offer four reasons why we don't go. And the first one is this. Go time is my time. Go time is my time. We live and act like the time God has given us on this earth is for us. It's for our pleasures. That it's actually our time to do with what we will. We live for ourselves. We live for our plans, our hopes, and and our dreams And we miss the entire point of what God has called us to, is to live for him on the mission. We think that go time is our time. And what we miss the point is that we have been set free so that others can be set free. That's the calling on your life. You haven't been set free for leisure, although there's lots of room for that. But you've been set free with a message that sets others free. Sometimes we believe in a, in a weak gospel. Sometimes we believe in a, in a selfish gospel, right? The salvation is good enough for me and, and my family, but beyond that, I'm not going. And so go time is my time. How about this? Too busy for go time. I'm too busy for go time. I'm so busy and focused on the things I've got to do in this life, I have no time to commit my job takes up all of my time. My hobbies, my vacation, my, my leisure leaves little room for the mission. And we often say that we don't have the time while we're not making the time, right? Too busy for go time. How about this? Too afraid for go time. I'm too afraid to go. So who here finds evangelism scary, terrifying, I think, I think we can all 
say that, right? Yeah, it is terrifying. I, I still find it I still find it terrifying to, to walk up to a stranger and to engage them in a conversation. Somebody you don't know, you don't know how they're going to receive it, right? And so there's this fear that comes over you. So we're too afraid for go time. How about this one? I don't care enough for go time. I just don't care enough. Indifference. Although we would say that we love our neighbor, we, we live like we really don't care about them. We don't care if they ever hear the gospel. We lack this sacrificial love for others. And more than that, we lack this obedient and worshipful love for the Lord. And we forget that the first and the second greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is this, we shall love our neighbors as ourselves. We forget those things. So you might see yourself in one of those four, and maybe you've got some other ones, some other excuses. But these four reasons can all be summed up purely as a problem with divine authority. We have a problem with authority. We lack submission to the rightful rule of Christ in our hearts. In fact, it, it, it may even reveal that, that you treat Jesus like he's your handmaiden of salvation rather than the Lord of their life who calls you to go. When Christ lived on this earth, his authority was on display at all times, even in his weakest moments, even in the moments when he was being tortured. He had full authority. He went to the cross willingly for us. He was and is God himself. When he would speak, he didn't speak like the Pharisees and scribes. He spoke as one who had authority, they said. He would cast out sickness and disease and evil spirits with complete power and authority. He turned water to wine. He took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 plus people. What kind of authority is that? Even the wind and the seas obeyed him. He would calm the storm. He would walk on the water. He had full authority to submit every atom and every molecule to be used by him and by the word of his power. Jesus has complete authority. This is your God. In Mark 2, verses 7 to 12, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And in the healing of this paralyzed state, he goes even further and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Showing the watching world that he had divine authority. He was God. He could forgive sin. Jesus is God. And then we see here, as Jesus was raised from the dead, having complete authority over sin and death, He's telling his disciples and he's telling us that all authority has been given to him, given to him by God the Father. His earthly humiliation is over and he is fully restored to his glorified deity, his rightful position, his rightful namesake as Lord of heaven and of earth. Paul even says this in Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is your God. He has complete and full authority a name above every name. So with that in mind, let us think about this. If your tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, then what should be the response of your feet when he calls you to go? As a disciple, as a Christ follower, are you free to tell him no? Are you free to say later, are you following on his mission? 
You know, when I was a kid, my dad was a, he was an RCMP officer. And, uh, and for fun, I remember he would march me and my two brothers around the kitchen and the dining room, and we'd be marching along. He'd be marching us like he was in, in his training. And then he would say to us in, in a kind of a joking way, but if you know my dad, you kind of know what he's like. He would say, if I say jump, you say how high, right? So if I say jump, you say how high. I can just picture us little boys, how high, how high? And, uh, and it's just showing us the authority and the response to authority. My dad loved us dearly, um, but he was also, uh, he would put us to work and, and, and make us follow him as well. How are you doing with God's authority, especially when it comes to the mission? When was the last time that you intentionally set out on your day to join Christ on his mission? Are you urgently seeking the lost with the gospel? When's the last time you went out? When's the last time I went out? Has it been a week? Has it been a month? Has it been ever? Have you ever gone out and intentionally shared the good news with the millions of people around us? Are you intentionally going for the Lord? The, fr- the problem that we have, friends, is that we have an authority problem. We have authority issues. Although you and I would agree on paper that that we fall under the authority of Jesus Christ, sometimes when it comes down to it, we want to rule our own destiny. We want to be the one who was making our plans. We don't want our comforts interrupted. We don't want to feel awkward, right? We don't want to risk relationships. We don't want to look like a fundamental wingnut, right? that the world thinks about us. Yes, worship leads to mission, and mission leads to worship. We have an authority problem. Sometimes we acknowledge with our heads that we we ought to submit to Christ's authority, but our actions often reveal that we submit to our own perceived authority. The late theologian, R.C. Sproul, he once wrote this. The very word authority has within it the word author. An author is someone who creates and possesses a particular work. Insofar as God is the foundation of all authority, he exercises that foundation because he is the author and the owner of his Creation. He is the foundation upon which all other authority stands or fails. God is the author. He is the one who has authority. And friends, Jesus has all the authority. He is the author of all creation. And his creation includes you, and it includes me. It includes our church. So are we doubting Jesus' authority when he calls us to go? If you look back to verse 17 of Matthew 28, you can see here that some of his disciples doubted him as well. So it says that when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. So look at that as an example to show you that you have commonality with some of these disciples, that doubting is is a natural part of our Christian life, but don't let it keep you there. Let it drive you to look at our foolishness in light of who Christ is. Because by example of the rest of the disciples, when they encountered the resurrected Savior, they worshipped. And so as you encounter Jesus through the pages of Scripture, your response, my response, needs to be worship. We worship. We worship. We, We respond in love. We respond in obedience And we respond in going. We respond in going. I already said this once, but at Harvest we say that worship leads to mission, and mission leads to worship. It's an ongoing cycle. Worship is what propels us. The foundation of Christ's authority leads to worship and pushes us to the rest of the world. This past week, the Reverend Billy Graham died. He went to be with the Lord. This was a faithful man who responded to the call of Christ 
to share the gospel, to make disciples. He wasn't a perfect man, but nobody could lay the charge against his life that he did not follow the call to go and make disciples. We're thankful for men like Billy Graham setting the course for us as well. Jesus' authority is our foundation for this mission call. We go under his authority. Harvest Calgary South exists to submit to Jesus' authority. So the reason that we, and when I say we, I mean all of us here, the reason that we planted a church is because we submit and we commit to God's authority. We aren't perfect, but we pray that we would be faithful and watch the Lord grow the fruit. And so how are you doing with your go time? How are you doing with the mission? Are you submitting to the call of Christ on your life right now? Do you feel that weight? It's a privileged weight. Do you remember or try to remember that radical love that God had for you to save you from the depths of your sin? Remember that. Do you remember that? Or do you feel that this call is for others and not you? So try to place yourself in the disciples' sandals. These 11 men, these 11 men who watched Christ live, watched him perform miracles, watched him teach, watched him be taken prisoner and and to be beaten and pierced and nailed to the cross, watched him die, seen this Messiah of theirs dead. And then he rose again and he's right in front of their eyes. Place yourself there as if you are one of them. And Jesus turns to you and he says, go. He says, go to you. Friends, we go under his authority. He has absolute Authority and it's authority that is so full of love for you. We go under his authority. So when Christ calls us to go, our response should be it should be yes. And how far? That should be our response. How far? But Jesus doesn't just release us to our own plans. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He doesn't leave us to our own ways, our own strategies of going, our own strength. When he calls us to go, we go in God's power. That's the next point. We go in God's power. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then 20, the first part of verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So going and making disciples is not a suggestion. Actually, that making disciples is an imperative. That is a command. We go, therefore, because our foundation in Jesus Christ is our supreme authority. It is a privilege, like I said. It's a privilege to be the ones who are commissioned. If you're a Christian this morning, you have been commissioned by Christ to be on mission for him. You are. That's your calling. As God saved you from your sin and he transferred you to his kingdom, you became a soldier in the holy armor of God. You became a soldier. You've been set apart to do his mission here on earth. Think about it for a minute. What a glorious privilege it is to be called Christ, to be adopted into his family, and to be made a missionary for him. It's a privilege. What a glorious call. We have to remember that God doesn't need us. God is God. But he privileges us to work for him, to share in his work, to be on the front lines of his mission, to be on the front row. As we faithfully work for him, we get to watch him do his work, to be saving souls for his glory. That's why when when we had our our core group going, one of our mottos was this, join Christ as he builds his church. And so we join Christ, we join him obediently, we join him faithfully and expectantly that God is going to work. And we're excited for that. We're to follow and we're to go. 
And it says we do this by making disciples of all nations. This is the very last commandment given from Jesus to his disciples. Up to this point in all the Gospels, Jesus was the one who was making disciples. They would call him rabbi. They would, they would call him teacher. They would follow him down the road. They would listen to him teach. He would teach them parables. Then he would explain the parables. But now he's taking that disciple-making baton, and he's passing that to his disciples, his 11. Now remember that these disciples were just normal people, right? There's nothing special about these disciples. They were basic. They weren't scribes. They weren't priests. They weren't Pharisees. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors, some of the most despised people in the community. They were nobodies. They were nobodies just like you and me. And he commands them to be the ones who would turn the world upside down. That's the way God works. He uses the weak to shame the strong. So that he would get all the glory. In John MacArthur's book on leadership, he says this about the ordinariness of God's chosen instruments for his mission. He said, in Christ's day, the world was filled with intellectuals and influential people. There were celebrated philosophers in Athens, unsurpassed scholars in Alexandria, the most powerful political leaders the world has ever known in Rome, and some of the most meticulous rabbis of all time in and around Jerusalem. But Christ bypassed them all and called simple, crude, unknown, and uneducated fishermen from Galilee to be his disciples. That's the way God works. Just think about it. The reason that you're sitting here today, the reason that you heard and believed in the gospel is because of these 11 ordinary men and the disciples that followed them who responded to the call. Normal people just like you and just like me. Nobody's special. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And these were faithful men to just follow. As you look back on your own journey to Christ, can you think of one or two people who have been faithful, one or two ordinary people who have been faithful to share the gospel with you? They were just ordinary folks. So like these ordinary men and women for the past 2,000 years, you and I are commanded to continue in that call we're called to make disciples, to make disciples of all nations. So Jesus himself, who has all authority over heaven and earth, has complete authority over every nation and every people group in this world. And he sends us to go to them, to go and to make disciples, to baptize disciples, and to teach disciples. And we do this collectively as the church. So please notice that, that making disciples, baptizing disciples, teaching disciples, it all happens within the context of the church. And it doesn't happen apart from the church. This is why we're so hung up here at Harvest, at planting churches. This is what we see. We get it from this great commission, and we see it by example in the New Testament. As the apostles, as the disciples would go out, they would go and share the good news in cities, and they would establish churches. They planted churches. Another saying we have here at Harvest is that we believe that the mission of the church is missions, and the mission of missions is the church. You get that? The mission of the church is missions, and the missions of the missions is church. You can't separate them. Our mission is to plant churches, and anything that we will do under the label of mission must support the church. So to be clear, we will have mercy ministry here at Harvest. Well, we're going to have aspect of that throughout our time as a church. Things like supporting widows, things like supporting orphans and the poor. It's like we read in James. 
We'll be helping the downtrodden. We, we love organizations like, like Samaritan's Purse or Operation Christmas Child and all those other ones that are like that. And we will support these things. But our primary mission as the church is to make disciples as the church. So even though we will love our city, we will love our country, we will love the world by, by loving them through acts of mercy, as an extension of that love that we have received from our loving God, our mission is intrinsically tied to our message, which is intrinsically tied to the church. We will make disciples together. We will baptize disciples together. We will teach disciples together, and we will be the church. And Jesus reminds us that we can only do this in God's power. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God's power is wrapped up in his triune presentation of himself. This is Trinitarian power. We are a Trinitarian church. Any true church is a Trinitarian church. So we're not just the church of the Holy Spirit. We're not just the church of Jesus. We're not just the church of God the Father. We are the church of the Trinity, the Godhead. We are a church under the supreme influence and power of our Trinitarian God. So our power... Our power is not in gimmicks, it's not in trickery, it's not in sales techniques, it's not in manipulation or, or coercion. Our power of going and making and baptizing and teaching is safe in the hands of our triune God. Again, we are a Trinitarian church. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. This means that all of God is over this thing. Every aspect of this church, every angle is taken care of by our God that is a trinity. Every angle, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to be the church. So we've got God over us, we've got God for us, and we've got God in us. How can we be stopped? with the power of God. Let us never forget this as a church. Let this drive our mission. Let this drive the power that we need. Friends, God has got this thing. We just merely need to submit and be faithful. Let's trust him. And let us ride confidently on the wave of his power as he sends us out flooding the world with the good news. Let us ride that wave. So friends, we go in God's power. So as most of you have been along for the journey of this church plant over the last year, we can look back and there's, there's been anxieties, there's been fears, you know, wondering how we're going to reach the lost, how we're going to get this message of our church out into this city. And as I look back, I'm just going to be honest with you, there, is, there was sleepless nights. There was worrying going on on my behalf be stressing about whether or not we're doing the right things? Are we using every resource to our advantage? Wondering if, if this angle would be better than that angle or, or wondering if we missed that opportunity. Looking back and seeing the wins that we had, but also the losses that we had. And I got to tell you, in those times, there's been stress and there has been worry and, and sleeplessness. Wondering if this thing will ever get off the ground. Then those moments, I'm not trusting in the Lord. I'm trusting in myself. I'm trusting in, in what man can do. Wondering if God's going to show up. And the greatest lesson that I've learned through this church plant is knowing that the power does not rest in me. The power rests in the Lord. And he has got this thing in his hands. All we need to do is to trust him, to be faithful, and to follow so as each of us are called to go for him, to make disciples together, to watch him build his church, to see people baptized, to teach, 
this may sound like a daunting task, right? It may sound like it's too big to bear. Let us rest. Let us rest knowing that the power is here. Let us go of these fears. Let, let's let go of the anxieties. And let's boldly proclaim the good news to this world together as his church. Are you afraid? Are you lacking commitment? Are you giving your life away for the Lord's church? What's keeping you from giving yourself fully? Giving yourself to the going, to the making. Friends, believe this. You will never regret the going. You will never regret going and following after the Lord. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be harder. In fact, we're promised persecution. But God's plans never fail because we have his power. So according to Christ, we we go under his authority, we go in his power, and lastly, we go with God's presence. The last half of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before Christ came to this earth in in human flesh, it was prophesied over and over again through through sacrifice and through through word that, that a Savior was coming, that a Messiah was coming, a Redeemer was on his way. In Isaiah 7, it was prophesied that a virgin would bear a son and that she would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was the fulfillment of that Emmanuel. God himself came to be with his people. Finally, at last, the Redeemer is here and he's with his people in the flesh. God came to be with his people. He's God with us. Then he lived his life and then he died for us. And then he rose from the grave and he appears to his disciples. And the very last thing he says, he says, behold. And when you see the word behold in scripture, that means open your ears extra wide. Pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus was leaving Remember, he was leaving, but he says in that statement as he's leaving, I'm staying, right? I'm going away, but I'm here. He was leaving, but he said, I'm with you, with his disciples, with his church, until he returns at the end of the age when he will return to come and take us home and he will return to judge the living and the dead. So why is it so important that he is with us? What does he mean that he is with us always? And why is this so crucial to our understanding of the Great Commission? Why is this so important? What does he mean that he's with us always? Friends, you and I are a church. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is a people, a people who have been called out and set apart for the work of God. But we're not a church in a vacuum. We are the church in Christ as each of us are ministers of this new covenant. We fall under our shepherd, Christ Jesus. We are in him and he is in us through his Holy Spirit. He rules over all of creation right now and he rules over his church right now at the right hand of his Father. And we got to remember that he is the one who was building his church. He is the one who was sustaining us. He is the one protecting us, caring for us, loving us. His church, he says, is his bride. We are the bride of Christ. We are the closest thing to him. He loves us dearly. And he is preparing us and he is maturing us for the day of consummation when he returns. And what's most important here is that this mission is not finished. The mission is not finished. And that's why he is with us. Like the disciples that have gone before us, the baton of the race is in our hands. Right? It's been given to us. 
Each one of us here has that baton of the gospel. And we are to run that race, to be working that mission out. Remember that it's a grace-motivated race. This is a a gospel-induced race. It's spirit-empowered this race that is set before us, we can't do it in our own strength. We need Christ with us. He is the one that empowers us. He sends His Spirit to empower us. And we're nothing without Christ's presence. And the beauty of all of this is that we have this book that God has wrote to us. And we get the final chapters of this book and it teaches us that Jesus wins. Right? There's, no, there's no second guessing here. If we're with Christ, we win. What are we afraid of? Jesus wins. We win with him. As Jesus saves the very last person on this earth and returns in power and glory, we will be glorified in him. The veil will be removed. We will see him as he is, and we will have everlasting praise of him for all eternity. And the ultimate prize is not heaven. The ultimate prize is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will be with us always to the end of the age. We have nothing to fear. This word always is even stronger in the original Greek. It means the whole of every day. So God is with us every second of every day. Jesus is right here with us. There's not one thing that happens that is not known or orchestrated by him. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future. Nothing is a surprise. Nothing can happen to you and me and this church that he does not have the capacity and the power to equip us for the kingdom's work. Now, that doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, like I said. It's actually going to get harder. When we fully commit and follow him, when we push ourselves out of our comfort zones and go to the lost and be bold and share out of love for them, out of love for them, out of love for God, it's going to get harder. But God will bless that. He holds your future secure, and God's very presence is with you, and he will never leave you. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's your Lord. That's your Jesus. He will never leave you. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? What do we have to fear? And so what do we do about this Great Commission? What do we do about this as a church? We learn that it's not a suggestion. We learn that it's a command. Jesus and all his authority has sent us out. We go under that authority. We, we go in this Trinitarian power as the church, and Jesus himself goes with us. Friends, we as the church are unstoppable if these things are true, and they are true. We have nothing to fear. Do you believe that you are privileged to be on this mission? We're commanded to go. We're commanded to go to our families with the gospel, to go to our neighbors, to go to our city, to go to our workplaces, to go to our province, to our nation, to the ends of the earth. In his promises, in his power, in his presence, what else do we need? So when we commit our lives to go, we're committing to what God has designed us to be. 
this is what you have designed, been designed to be, to be on mission for him. That's where you will find your fullest satisfaction, your fullest joy is walking side by side with Christ as he does his mission on this earth. A true Christ follower cannot hoard their faith. They are compelled to share it with others. The mission of the church is missions, and the mission of missions is the church. A Christ-following church intentionally and urgently spends its time spreading the gospel locally and globally. We'll be sharing some of that with you in the coming days of how we're going to do that, how we're going to reach our city, how we're going to go to the ends of the earth. Part of that comes with our fellowship with the Great Commission Collective. But Jesus, in all his authority, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We go under his authority. We go in his power. We go with his presence until he returns. And so we're going. Are you coming? Are you coming? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this command. We thank you, Lord, that you have complete and total authority over all of your creation. You know the beginning from the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. Nothing escapes your plan. And so we trust you, Lord. We, we worship you this morning as your church, and we ask you to use us. Use these weak and foolish people, namely myself, use us for your glory. Shame the strong. Do your work. May we be people about your mission, about your message. And as we go together as the church, may you receive all the glory, all the glory, all the fame that is due your name. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.